This week on Backyard Footy, what was uh, you know and you know not just what we had to deal with with COVID, but as you said, with all the 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 unrest that we've been experiencing in this country, to see the players come together, to see you guys form the Black Players Alliance, um, and give us the opportunity to work with you on um, thinking about the USL and and how we what's our role uh, in society beyond football. Um, with these major issues that we're facing and how can we use football and use the USL and the, and the size and scale and the um, platform that our athletes have to yeah. affect some positive change. Um, yes, disappointing to see in and amongst the unity that we saw amongst our players that we still have incidents of those kind of slurs on the field. Uh, I mean, it's, um, it, you know, it, it's not acceptable, obviously. And, and for that to happen while all this unity is happening with our players is um you know you're all scratching your head a bit as to, as to what's going on here where's the bait Yo, 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 what's up, footy fans? What's up? It's great to be back. It's your host, Hugh Roberts, a.k.a. Superhuman, and I'm back here for the 43rd episode, where each episode I dive into the backgrounds, journeys, and experiences of professional athletes, former athletes, and anyone that's been involved with the game. Like I said, I know it's been a little while, but I got a brand new guest to close out my final episode for the season. I'm here live with the president of the USL, Jake Edwards. It's an honor to have him here with me. I've had him on. I've met him a couple of times now with the BPA. We've had a couple of Zoom meetings. We're here with him. But we have everything and all the topics here we're going to discuss. All your all your questions are going to be answered here. We're talking about everything from his history, how he got started from VP to president. We talk about what he's been doing this off season in regards to next season, the scheduling, what's going to happen in the, in the in regards to the format. Is it going to be, you know, two different conferences or the group play again? We also talk about um, diving into the incidents over in San Diego, both incidents there, the USL Championship final game between Phoenix and Rowdy's, why didn't that happen? Talk about, you know, the BPA, how it was founded, our relationship between that, what he, what his visions are, also what his visions are with the league and in the future of the league. So, I mean, everything, man. A great conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear. A quick update on me before we get started. Um, last year for me, I'm a free agent, had another pretty good year this year, my seventh year, wrapped it up, finished first in the group for the, with the Charlotte Independence, ended up losing two to one double overtime against Charleston in the playoffs, but ended up having a good a good year overall. Now I'm here in a free agent trying to figure out my next move, but I've, it's given me time here with my brand, continuously grow that. And so without further ado, though, let's get started. I really appreciate you guys for tuning in. Let me know what you think. It's been awesome. How's your off season been going? What's it like for the commissioner in his off seasons? Uh, well, it's it's good. It's it's um, it's been nice to conclude the season. It was a, it was a, a very challenging year and a long year. And um, uh, despite all the um, all the you know all the things we've had to go through and, and, and navigate this year, I'm you know just very proud of everybody. Proud of the players. Proud of the clubs. Um, for getting us through a very difficult time, and everyone's rolled their sleeves up and and stuck with it, and and worked out how to uh, play this year. Uh, and so it's been an incredibly um, tough year in many respects, but it's also been a great um, test and a great challenge. Um, and we've had to come together to work out how to solve that challenge, and we have, you know, and we played this year, and that puts us in great stead, I think, moving forward for ultimately what will be another tough year uh, next season. Um, so many positive things happened this year, um, and we'll, we'll touch on those shortly. But now is a time to catch your breath, uh, reflect on what we've, what we've just accomplished, um, evaluate what went well and what, went, and what didn't, um, and, uh, and start to uh, really in earnest prepare for next season. So, so unfortunately, you know, it, it, there's never really a, a, an off season. You're in constant planning mode um, and, uh, and there are things happening all the time. You know, you're dealing with things all the time that happen daily. 
uh, across the league uh, and and external uh, to our league that we need to think about and react to. And then we're planning all the time for next season and the seasons ahead, whether that's with um, you know external situations like COVID or whether that's um, working with our media partners or new commercial partners. Uh, new expansion clubs coming in, making sure they're staffed up, they're ready to go, uh, working with teams that are trying to build stadiums, um, academy league, and all these things that, that, that continue. Um, so we'll catch our breath for a little bit, but, um, but the work is, is going now and a lot of time spent, um, um, you know, a lot of our focus now is, is working with the players through the CBA, uh, working on the competition structure for next season. Um, thinking about those long-term projects as well, never losing sight of what's coming with the World Cup in 26 and making sure we're prepared for that um, to reap the benefits of that. And, and then also, um, you know, as best we can, try and get 2020 in the rear view, right? It's been quite a stressful year for everybody. And I think just giving everyone at the league office and the clubs a bit of a break uh, around the holidays um, and a time to, you know, uh, refresh and come back hungry and ready to go in 21. And like you said, too, I commend everybody, the players as well. You know, we weren't in a bubble like the MLS and other teams, but we essentially bubbled in every single city and in every area. And we had a very low percentage of COVID cases in general. So just to get through this, you know, it's unfortunate with the final, but to get through a season that was unknown for everybody, it spoke volumes in a long way. Is there a tentative timeline or date in regards to the start of the season? I know you guys have a meeting coming up in December. Has there been any discussions with that? There, there has been, yeah. And, uh, you know, what we've told the owners, obviously, um, we need a plan. Uh, we're working towards a plan for what the competition will look like uh, next season. But we have to be flexible. One thing this year's taught us is um, things move quickly and where we are today may not be where we are in a couple of weeks' time or a couple of months' time. The world's changing. We had some really good news uh, yesterday, didn't we, about um, the... Uh, the potential for a vaccine coming uh, earlier uh, than we thought that may well calm some nerves and, and help as we think about playing in some states that this year didn't that allowed no fans right so the ability to have fans in our buildings next season is critical um, not just uh, to be back amongst our supporters again uh, and playing in front of supporters which makes as you know as a player makes a huge difference um, but also um, from a match day revenue point and from the health of our clubs, we need to get the fans back in the building. So um, good news on that with the, with the uh, vaccine and the timeline of that. Um, so that is a key driver for us. So we've got to have some flexibility and we are discussing whether or not we move the start date of the season back a little bit to give us some more time to see how we come out of the spring, the winter and the spring, and then give us some more time uh, potentially, because we usually start the first week of March. Um, so we might need to buy a bit of time um, to uh, to enable us to have a full season next year, but to be able to get fans in the building. So that work's going on at the moment, uh, but I think there'll be, there'll be some uh, flexibility um, baked into that. And we really want to get back to a competition structure that we had in 2019. So I think there's, a, there's a maybe a hybrid in 2021, that doesn't look like what we did this year. Okay. Uh, it might not be fully back to where we were in 19 until we get to the 22 season. So we've got to just see, we know 21 is going to be a tough year and we've got to start making steps back um, to our normal competition structure. That was, that's what I was just about to ask too. You know, I was going to ask you personally, I know you guys haven't discussed yet, but if it was up to you kind of, I know some players like the regional base format, a um, little less traveling, less restrictions with COVID and things like that. Or you just kind of just answer my question as well. Not necessarily going back to 2019 fully, but I, uh, in a sense, opening up a little bit so we can touch different markets. So. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's getting the balance right between um, uh, reducing um, costs in a very cost sensitive time. Um, by reducing some of the travel, by mitigating the risk um, of travel uh, for the players and staff, um, and also keeping it uh, keeping the competition both interesting from a fan point of view with diversity of opponents, um, uh, but also making it sure it's an equitable roadmap to the to the postseason. You know, because you don't want to have to be in the group of death and playing like these top teams and, and every every game's a slog. And maybe someone else is, is, is not having that experience, you know. And so we've got to you factor all of those in. Um, 
And I think, you know, the teams uh, at the moment are, are supporting a sort of halfway house. They want to expand the diversity, have more teams, uh, more different op uh, opponents to play, um, but also just be mindful of what uh, the implications could look like from a travel point of view. And so I suspect we are somewhere in that halfway point. We'll expand it a bit, but it might not get fully back until the 22 season. But like I said, things, things change. So that's what we're working on now. We'll have, a, we'll have a plan in place that can change as needed, you know, in the, in the months prior to kickoff. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you for answering that. So let, let's backtrack a little, though. Walk us through the process to becoming the president of the NFL today. So you came over from Manchester, England, when you were young, moved to Jersey, played high school ball there, ended up making some history at James Madison University before playing pro overseas and actually played here with the Charleston Battery as well. So how was that experience adjusting from the European lifestyle coming to the American lifestyle when you were younger? And in comparison, sorry, lastly, and then I know you played in the FA Cup overseas with me and you kind of compare both styles of play for us transitioning. Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, like, like you and everybody that are in the game, you've, you've all, we've all got our own journey um, through the sport. And, you know, the one thing I think that, that um, one of the things that ties us all together was we have such a strong bond for the sport and a love for the sport. And, and I reflect back on my life um, to date and I always feel football is the thing that is the, is the one thing that opens up so many doors and, and guides guides the decisions I make. And so I think when you look at your life and where you are in your life and people you surround yourself with and, and decisions you've made and whom you work for and where you go to school and, and what country you live in, for me, it's often been because of football. Um, and, and those decisions, and you have your ups and downs in your career and some decisions you make you wish you hadn't and some decisions you make really work out. But, um, you know, my closest friends are all generally through football and, and you know, my you know, I met my wife by choosing to go to a particular university to play football. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of experiences because of the game. So for me, the game's had a central part of my life. And now it's what can I do to continue to grow and give back to the game that I think has done so much for me. Um, I've had a journey that, um, you know, we, we lived on a, growing up, I lived in a few different countries. We, we had, because my dad was working in the, he was an aviation engineer. We I, we spent time living in, in Indonesia, in Brunei, as a very young child. I moved from there. We lived in Malawi and Zambia in, in Africa on two separate occasions um, when I was sort of four and five and seven to nine. Um, and then we moved back to England from Manchester to the south of England. I started my football, serious sort of football career then. And that was, you know, 10, 11, 12, playing for Brighton and Hove Albion in their centre of excellence and, and, and their youth setup. Um, prior to moving to the US and moving to New Jersey when my dad emigrated um, through for work. So I, I, I've always had a, um, I was lucky to have a childhood that um, I've lived on in a few different countries and a few different continents. I um, give you, give, gives you a different perspective, I think, on, okay, on, exactly. on how you view things and how you, how you view the world. Um, and, uh, and so I was very fortunate to have that upbringing. And then I moved to New Jersey to a, to a very Italian-American town um, <laughs> where there wasn't really a lot of soccer. It was, it was, you know, American football and what have you. So, um, and it was brilliant experience. It was like The Sopranos, if you ever see that show. It was just like that. And I came from England. I had no idea about meatball sub subs and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, everyone was Tony and Vinny and Maria and... But it was, I've got lifelong friends from my time there and I went to high school there. And in those days, you didn't have any um, big youth football leagues and youth organizations. You played local football. I played for two clubs there, Union Lancers, which was a German-American club um, and players like Claudio Reynier and a number of others had gone through that. Manny Schellscheidt was the coach there. The Lancers, yeah. Um, yeah, and then I also played for the, the Carney Thistle, the um, Scots-American um, club with a Scottish history, and John Harkes and Miola and Ramos and all these famous players played in that, went to high school and played in that group. So, And you played the Brooklyn Italians and you played the Ukrainian team and you played, so you played these very historic white kind of working men's clubs, you, you know, and... Um, and it was it was a good experience to do that. Um, played on fields with no grass, you know. It was 
footballs with no football goals with no nets they just had cage, like metal cages and things yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was that was a great environment some good players and and i and i i went from there to to university of james madison as you said i had that was in the early 90s mid 90s and they uh we had a really good team there good players from all over the world uva with bruce arena was sort of the top team then so we always would lose to them in the semi quarters or semis or something so um but good experience playing there. And I always wanted to play professional, uh, like all, like everybody, right? And I always wanted to play professionally. And I um, was very lucky because I got to meet um, a very famous guy, um, Scottish guy called Ian St. John. And Ian St. John had a TV show in the 80s and 90s in England uh, with a guy called Jimmy Greaves, two legends of football in England. Uh, and it was a pundit show. And during the 94 World Cup, they came over to do a show on the World Cup. And I, and I was living in New Jersey then, and I became a volunteer. I signed up to be a volunteer at the Giants Stadium for mm. some of those games. And I was, I was on the field and in the locker room helping out during the, the Ireland-Italy um, game or Ireland, where the Republic of Ireland won that game, and some others. So good experience. And I got to meet these two guys. And Ian St. John Jr. played for Liverpool in the 60s and, and 70s, very famous man. His son was an agent in England. And, and had represented John Harkes and a number of other players from America um, in England at the time. And he introduced me to him and he brought me over during my college career. I would go over in the winter and, and train with Tranmere Rovers, which was a championship club in, 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 in Liverpool. Um, and that started my connection to go back and play. And then through, through Ian, uh, Ian St. John Jr., I got a... Uh, trial then with Wrexham and Wrexham's uh, is in North Wales but plays in the English League and it was the second division uh, the old second division in those days um, Man-, Man City were in that league Fulham was in that league Stoke right. were in the league you know so it was it was some big clubs in the second division then and uh, and I signed with Wrexham and then I started my playing career then um, that was 1998 um, back in England so I had had some uh, some great experiences, moved back over there um, and I played there for about 10 or so years um, and then at different clubs and, and one year I came back and played with the Charleston Battery in what was the A-League in those days in 2002 uh, and then I retired at 33 or 34 um, and so I had a lot of good experiences playing, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, loved it, as you said, played in the FA Cup, managed to play against the likes of Man United and others, and um, had a had a had a you know just a great experience playing and and um, and and coming to the end of playing for me, I didn't want to. Uh, oh, I did my coaching badges and a few other things. I kind of wanted a break. I mean, I'd been going for so many years. I wanted a break of of that. Now, it's very intense playing in England. It's 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 a ten and a half month season. You play all through the winter, most of the weeks from September onwards, you're playing two games a week. Um, and it is the number one sport in that country. So it's, it's, it's all, it's all consuming, you know, the media's writing about you. Everybody's, you know, it's, there's a lot of, lot of, um, uh, there's, there's a lot of spotlight on, on, on the sport. And, um, and it's also great playing in an environment where it's the number one sport, you know? Um, and, uh, and I loved every minute of it, but, but when you make that transition, as you guys know, well, um, it's, it, it becomes it's a job it becomes very quickly a job and those guys that you're training with uh, although you are teammates you know will probably break your legs if they got a chance in training because they want to get in the team and you're blocking them you know and so there's a every day there's a real intensity to prove yourself that you need to be in the team um because you got to put food on the table right and so so it, it becomes um you know there's a there's a level of intensity there perhaps that we're we're starting to get to here i think but it's just it's it's a little it's a different environment to, to operate in that's for sure um and so but i enjoyed you got to get up to speed on that very quickly or as you don't make it you know and so you've got to you've got to, you've got to get in tune with that kind of way of working um but uh you know but i i there's a long answer to this question i'm sorry but i i uh, i i wanted to transition out of football and i think for for players that are in their late twenties and early thirties, that's the time you start thinking about what's next. When you're in your early to mid twenties, you're going to be a footballer for the rest of your life. Like you're not even thinking about anything. Like this is just going to go on forever, right? And then at some point, it dawns on you that 
you, uh, by the way, I'm not, I didn't make it to the Premier League, right? I'm going to have to work for a living. Uh, I need to start thinking of what's next, you know? And so uh, for me, I, I got, I wanted a break from the cadence of football and I saw the coaches, the amount of, they didn't get a break. I mean, they're, they're traveling all over the country, looking at other players and games and um, I, I needed a break from it. So I, I, in my last two years of playing, I, um, I started to shadow some of the corporate um, staff. I, I spent time with the marketing departments, the commercial departments. I started to get quite interested in that side of the, the business side of it. Um, but I needed a, uh, it was apparent to me in England, and I, I, needed, I needed something else to open some doors for me. Playing football wasn't enough. You know, many people have just said, you spent 10 years on a field. What, what, what you should be coaching, right? So uh, needed some more to, to expand the opportunities. And for me, I went back to school, did a graduate degree, did an MBA while I was playing my last season um, in the UK. And that afforded me the ability to go to a commercial sponsorship agency in London um, uh, called Octagon, which is actually an American firm, and, and start working there on, on uh, the, the, uh, some very interesting projects. Uh, we worked on, um, I spent a year working on a, uh, the development of a professional cricket league in the Middle East. And I worked with all these different stakeholders around uh, the world on that project and um, started to get into that bigger side of sports. You know, they, they did all the MasterCard sponsorships of the Champions League. I got to learn how, how they're structured, how that works. And that fascinated me. And I was excited about that as I was about my early days of playing football. Uh, and so that, um, that was the next phase for me. Um, and, uh, but I always, but I wanted to get back to the U S and I, I had a mutual friend who was involved in Orlando city, uh, who was also, um, uh, good friends with the owner of the USL and, uh, and I got to meet them all and spend some time. And we looked at the USL at the, in, in 2013, this is so when I started. So back in the end of 2012, I came back to America and, um, and I was able to spend some time with the owner of the USL then. And, and I just come off the back of this project in the Middle East. I said, look, there's a way we can reshape this league and think about how to, how to strategically put a roadmap in place for 10 years to grow, to expand, to change the ownership profile, to build stadiums, to become a real league um, and to take it somewhere. And that would be a fascinating project to get involved in, you know, so um, so for some reason, I think he took pity on me. I don't know, but he said, okay, maybe this guy might be able to do something. But, um, but Alec uh, was, was, was great. You know, he, he shared that we had this mutual vision of this and he's such a believer in the game. You know, he played professionally as well. This is Alec Papadakis, who, who's, um, who's the owner of the USL. And, and he played in, in, in the old NESL, played against Pele. You know, he's, he's had an amazing story himself and wants to make sure there's a, there's something special here and so um, that really attracted me to work with Alec on this project and having played in the league for one season and having this affinity to Charleston certainly I wanted to right. see what we could do and that was 2013 and that that's when I started we had 10 clubs Hugh in those days we had uh, uh, all I mean you were playing I know but we had um, you know uh, 10, 10 teams and, and at the league office there was probably I don't know, about 14 people that worked at the league office in those days. That's what I was going to ask you. What was the state of the league like in 2013? I came the year after in 14, but I didn't even know about the USL too well yeah. to be honest with you when I was in college. Yeah. What was kind of like the state of the league back then in 13 in your vision? Well, when I got here, I think, because the, the current ownership bought it off of Nike in 2010, and then there was a bit of reshuffling in 2011. And then it, was, it wasn't really until 2012 that they could really get going with this project. Um, but there's only 10 clubs and some clubs like Richmond Kickers and, and right. Pittsburgh and Rochester and they've been going for decades. Right? I had a long history um, and a great history in the game. Um, but newer teams like Orlando City um, and uh, in Sacramento in 14. So newer clubs were coming in and, and, and doing things at a, at a different level. So you could see the potential um, there for it. But the league office, we, when I got here, we were, I used to say, we're a jack of all trades, master of none. We had this kind of huge portfolio of leagues. So we had a, a men's outdoor league. We had a men's indoor league. We had a women's outdoor league. We had a beach soccer league. We had a youth league. We had a, I mean, it just, it was this huge menu of leagues and um, not really 
operating at a good level, you know, or a, a, a professional enough level, not resourced enough. And so you we were spread too thin. Um, so part of our, you know, initial strategic plan was to let's consolidate this, let's come down to one or two leagues and do them really well right. and grow them and turn them into something. And that's what we did. We rebranded re it, refocused our efforts. Now we've nearly 70 full-time staff at the league office. Wow. Um, we've, the space in the league office is quadrupled. Um, we've got a, a 17 different departments now at the league office that service the clubs regularly. So it's a much bigger operation. Um, and, and we've put the building blocks in place now to, you know, to, to, to expand this um, uh, in the years ahead. But it's been, a, it's been an amazing, uh, for me, seven years so far. But, but just to think, seven years ago, as I said, we had Orlando City... Um, uh, I think probably averaging about six or 7,000 a game fans. And that was significantly higher than, than a lot of the other teams. Um, and now you've got teams building $70 million stadiums just for soccer, right? You've got players now from all over the world that, that are senior internationals. You've got um, tremendous coaches. You've got a, a uh, you know, a tremendous number of professional clubs over two divisions. We've got an academy league we're putting. So there's a lot of good things happening now, you know, a media platform with ESPN. So all of these things were part of the plan, but, um, and, and, and really have happened in a, in a relatively short space of time when you think of how long it takes to build leagues and, and, and become a mature league. And, and look, we, we have this um, startup mentality here that this is, this is just the beginning. We've got a long way to go. We're not a finished article yet, but so it's been that, that it's been an exciting ride um, at the USL. But it's been a um, again. I'm just I'm just. I'm, I'm, it's a privilege to still after you know almost thirty years um, in the game to still just to be in the game and have an opportunity now to affect some change right. um, uh, moving forward. And that's what I was going to say too. From 2015 on, I mean, you have clubs like Louisville coming in. FC Cincinnati was big too when they first came in. Phoenix, Nashville, Miami, and Rowdy's coming from the NASL too. From when you took over in '15, was this kind of your vision and your thought process? And when you and you took over, yeah, I remember being at the game. Um, I was in Cincinnati, and uh, we had uh, a playoff game. There was thirty-six thousand people in Nippertown yeah. for a USL game, yeah. and I remember being there thinking. Man, you know, what does this tell you about the opportunity? And, and, and this, is, this is what's possible. And I would say that to the teams. This is what's possible. They've made that happen. Right. Now, when we launched that team, I thought if we could get 10,000 to a game, I thought that was doable. I thought we could, I thought we could do well there. To have 36,000 um, was just uh, was, was astonishing. And I always say to the staff, you're, you're in the you're in the you're in the, um, you've got to see the woods from the trees and you're in it every day. Sometimes you've really got to, and it's the same in life, take the time to appreciate those moments right. because, because they are major, major accomplishments and, and right. they have to be recognized. And you've got to, you know, you think about what, what you've been able to do there to have a USL game, bring a USL club to a city and put 36,000 people that are having an amazing time cheering this team on. Um, uh, that's that you know that, that affects people's lives right and that's a good that's a good thing and you got to make sure you, you you celebrate those moments one of the best highlights of my career was 2016 when i scored in the 93rd they had like almost 30k we're down one zero in richmond i scored in silence and that that was an unbelievable experience i mean just to have that in the usl we played in pittsburgh before they left the year before and they had adi and everybody that was 35k two in a regular season game so Man, just the progress of this whole league in general from going back in 14 where we could, you know, travel to the West Coast twice, both the West Coast and the East Coast teams were going out to Cali. And I remember being a rookie like, man, this USL thing is awesome going out to Cali twice. <laughs> but nah, and then, I mean, obviously you guys planned this year, though, for a full season and COVID happened. Kind of walk us through the conversations and the progress and the procedures beforehand and the talks. Yeah, I mean, I just have to say, you know, I think a lot of the players, I'm sure, are listening to your podcast, but um, I, I can't say this enough. This is such a unique situation this season for the players to play in. And I know the players were desperate to play. And in those early days in March, 
we didn't know a lot, did we? So there's a lot of risk, right? We were like, oh my goodness, we're going to get on a bus. We're going to sit next to each other. We're going to get on a plane. We're going to be on a field together. And so there is a real bravery there um, for the players to make that, make that commitment to do that. Um, and that's not a small thing. And, and that's not lost on me. I've, you know, I, I just think um, to be able to step across the line and put everything out of your mind and play football, which is what you, you, you try to do, um, in and amongst all of these things that are happening in the world and in our lives, it's not an easy thing to do. And in that instant, um, I have a huge respect for the players for doing that. And that's not a small thing. Um, and, you know, the moment we completed that first trip or that first flight or that first game and that first training session, I think everyone starts to breathe a sigh of relief, you know. And as you said, as we went through that season, um, we, you know, we've, we've concluded... Um, many many thousands of tests i think only over twenty-five thousand tests you know we have a positivity rate of about um, less than half a percent about 0.4 percent so that is so low right. uh, so that that is just testament to how the players lived their lives this year to make sure that they um did everything they can do as professionals to 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 get through this season and we had some hiccups we had some we had some cases that took out roommates and, and, and took out guys that you drive with and took out, you know, and so we have had some games postponed and we didn't get to play the two finals. And, and that is what this year was, unfortunately. And um, there, was, there was always the risk of some of those things happening. Um, you know, when, when, when this kicked off, we kicked off the season. This was our 10th anniversary season. We kicked off this year with, with lots of ambition, with hope. We were thinking about, you know, banner banner events all-star games different things like that to, to celebrate this year and then quickly in san diego new team in the league kicked off i was there we had eight thousand fans there and a um, lot of good storylines and then a week later it's it's shutting down right and then you know you could see this happening we were starting to prepare for what would happen and how we would process that and work towards For the san diego game yeah. uh, well yeah, I mean, we, we, we were aware of this virus, weren't we, a little bit before that. So we didn't know anything about it, but we we're just saying, what does this mean? You know, how, how might this affect things? There was, there was conversations going on across the country, right, across leagues and, and, and other, what, what this might be. Um, and then it wasn't really until, until I think it was the NBA then, that, that Wednesday night when the NBA said, right, we are now suspending our season. At that point, you knew this is over for the time being, right? This is over. And so that was, that was interesting day in the halls, I think of every league office, right? There was, Oh, Oh, <laughs> this is real. Right. Okay. Let's get to work. And it was really then, right? Roll the sleeves up. How do we think about um, this, this, this task in hand? You know, I was, and so it was a bit like that Apollo 13 where they all come in and throw all that stuff on the table, right? Now, how do you, how do you make this fit into that? get to work, you know? And so we, we quickly assembled a uh, task force within our clubs of, of leadership from some of the teams, a COVID task force. And then we partnered with some of the top um, medical experts from across the country, from Johns Hopkins and a number of other University of Tennessee, some pre prestigious uh, doctors that are experts in this space. Uh, and we work with US soccer and the other pro leagues and, 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 um, and their medical uh, personnel and we put together a plan of how we would return a set of protocols, which we have available on our websites, but um, how would we mitigate risk? How would we play? How would we think about fans in a stadium? How could we make that happen? And then what are the options to return? Do we go in a bubble? Do we chop the competition up? Do we have divisions? Do we go back to our stadiums? And all that work was going on with our teams and owners and, and all that analysis was happening. What the financial implications, what the safety implications, what uh, what do we mean for the players? How do we do this? Um, you know, and we solved it. We solved it. And what was critical to our clubs, who are very much community-based organizations, was we want to get back in our communities, in our stadiums and play, right? We don't want to go and live in, in, a, in, a, in, in a, a bubble for two months, you know. Um, and so that was, our, that was our marching orders. Make that happen. How can you make that happen? And some states were going to allow fans of some description and some weren't, you know, and how do we, how do we manage that as well? Um, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful at times like that, that you have the right people around you. It's critical um, that when you're tested and you have such a challenge in front of you, 
you have experts, you have people that are willing to put all the hours of the day uh, in to make this happen. And I'm so lucky that we have a team at the league office who are brilliant and they work tirelessly and their focus uh, was clear the whole time, how to, how to get this, these clubs in this season back on track. Um, and we've got a great group of owners, right? And we have some very difficult and at times heated conversations about what's the right thing to do and the path and how do we do it. And we have a lot of good debate this year about that. But ultimately, everyone came together and found a solution and supported it. We spent a lot of time with the, um, the Players Association on what those protocols would look like and whether or not they would be comfortable uh, and their members would be comfortable um, with, with the protocols. And they were, they supported that. Um, and then that was it. And we have to get back to work. And we were able to, um, in, a, in a hiatus, get back in July with a shorter season, 16-game uh, season. And, um, and that was a brave decision all around, I think, to do that. So nobody, I think, probably expected us to do that or maybe would have thought less of us if we didn't come back. But it sent a message as to what this league is and the strength of this league and the ambition of this league. And that something like this won't knock us down, that we'll keep going. Um, and that was a big statement of intent. Um, and I'm just very proud of everyone that worked so hard and made the brave decision to play. Hugh, you think about like a New Mexico United and those players and that ownership group, not only could they not have fans come, they couldn't even play in the state of New Mexico. Oh, right? I didn't even know they that. Could play. No, they had to play all their games on the road. Um, so that is a very tough decision for an owner to make. <laughs> Right. And, and, and for those players, every game, it's a road trip. Right. And so um, that was a tough slog for them. And, yeah. and, um, and, and what we're able to do to mitigate some of that, and, and we were able to go from two conferences to, to divisions with four or five teams within a division, as you know, um, and to mitigate some of that travel. And we had some great concerns that our supporters would be a bit disappointed having to see, you know, Charlotte played Charleston 25 times, right? And so we were thinking, is that going to play well or not? And, and what we saw this year was about, uh, about a 500% increase in viewership of the games on the broadcast, right? And so we, we were another bright spark of the uh, bright point of this season here. Uh, tremendous viewership on the ESPN. We, were amazed, we got a few international media deals uh, in place as well. So, so people uh, in other regions could see our games. And fans were so good. I mean, they were, they, 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 they didn't put them off. You know, they watched in, in um, exponentially higher numbers than ever before. And when they were able to come back into the stadiums, they came back in. And so we saw some new rivalries happen, I think, with that increased amount of games against teams. Some of them were pretty heated. It was great. Um, and, uh, and, 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 we, and we got it done, you know, and we found a roadmap to, to a final. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what's your thoughts, Hugh? Because... You, you played in a lot of those games. You played against a lot of the teams um, multiple times. I mean, was that your experience? You got to find a few things out about each other or, um, you know, you got to, got to find a few uh, rivalries there or a few guys you couldn't wait to see again to lay one on him. But <laughs> I would definitely have to say that. New, new rivalries were formed, like maybe us in Birmingham kind of thing. Um, NCFC is always there, but even against Memphis too a little bit. That if It actually, you know, kind of rolled over from last year. We played them. The la one of the last games of the season last season and fans got a little John at us a little bit and it, it, we ended on a crazy high note so the follow and transition from the same teams of this year it definitely spoke to the rivalries being formed and I mean it, it was cool though just being in a little bubble scenario we never really I've never done a group situation for a side mm -hmm. league as well so that was I, I also play basketball as well so usually if you're in a tournament or something you do that kind of thing but that, that was a cool little aspect to have a winner and a, a co-winner of the group. And then, you know, those yeah. two advanced, that was a, a cool situation. It's kind of why I asked what's going to happen next season, because I know guys were in talks, you know, we, we kind of like that thing per se, too. So it was definitely an interesting season, but one I won't forget and I'm on the positive side. Hugh, what do you think about um, this? This comes up in conversation uh, from time to time. What do you think about, given the size of the league and the size of the country, but... Um, in terms of diversity of op uh, opponents, um, having more exposure to teams on the West? I, I think that's needed. Sometimes we ask each ourselves on the East Coast, like, how can you really compare teams on the East and West if we don't play each other? You know, we always do rankings all the time, but the rankings only weigh so much if teams aren't playing each other in a conference, you know? I, yeah. Sometimes you can't really judge a Phoenix if they're only playing the West Coast team sometimes. So, and that just speaks to me being here in my rookie season when we used to go to the West Coast a couple of times and you're able to 
build yeah. more rivalries and then be like, okay, so-and-so is actually pretty good. They deserve to be, you know, the top teams in the West. So now you can actually judge the competition because I would say for a couple of years now, it's been a big gap in the East guys will say that they're much better and stronger on the East <laughs> side than the West Coast guys yeah. and their top teams. So I think, I think it'd be good and a fun competition. Now, do you, you watch a lot of football? Do you think there's a, there's a difference in the style of play or the type of football that the players are playing out in the West or the Southwest versus what you see in the, in the East or the Northeast? I think so. I think so. We, we'd say the East is a little more defensive while the West is a little more just open a little bit, a little more uh, goal frenzy, we'd say. Um, I, I'd say it's I mean, due to the environment, probably like Colorado, going out to New Mexico, going out to high altitude environments. We don't really deal with that too much on the East Coast. But I we would say it's a little more open out West in terms of style of soccer and in comparison to the East where it's a little more, you have the veteran teams who are playing a little more old school some. And yeah, I'd say a lot of more older teams are out, are out in the East Coast. So it speaks to the culture. Well, it's something we want to, we're actively looking to see how we can factor that into a competition window when you've got a 34-game window. There's, you don't want loads of midweeks. You want to don't be traveling those kind of distances. So how do you, how do you think about that? And, and that's something I, I, um, I agree, you know, just kind of meeting once in the final uh, can give you that chance to build some new rivalries or to test the two sides against each other. So that's something we talk about. And I think the evolution of the league puts us in a better place now, right? We, as you say, we used to do that. And then um, as clubs have grown from, um, you know, we grew nationally, but focused on a regional footprint um, to keep the cost sensible and the, and the travel impact sensible. But um, we've got much bigger clubs now and a more ambitious clubs and, and, um, and, uh, you know, owners that want to test themselves against each other as much as players that want to test themselves against each other. So it's, it's good. I think we're in a good spot now. So I think that's something we, we are working on, how we can, how we can um, make some alterations to make that happen. I'd like to hear that. So throughout the year, you got, there was a couple of incidents we saw out in San Diego. There was multiple incidents where they, you know, one player one week got called the N-word. The following couple of weeks, there was a homophobic slur. And not only with that, you mentioned before with the Phoenix and Tampa game in the final, how there weren't, there wasn't a final played, but we did see in League One that there was a winner decided. So how are all these decisions made in such a short time span? Yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, this year, um, lots to, lots to navigate, right? We, not just with COVID um, and um, a lot of the social and societal unrest and, and how do we, you know how do we how do we how do we process that and, and and think about what that means for us and how can we affect some positive change and there's a lot of discussions um and in and amongst trying to take the time to listen and think about how to um how to respond in the moment and then how to put uh, processes in place and, and and plans in place longer term you're dealing with things that are happening right away and instantly and in one game or another game. And, and you've got to make those decisions sometime um, in real time. And you've got to, and, and you don't have the time um, to, to, to make, to, to get, um, to, to spend as much time as you'd like on these things. So this year was a challenge because we've, we've been thinking longer term. We've put, we've, we've been, uh, putting processes in place long term, but we also have to react and, and, and deal with things as they happen. Um, you know, um, certainly with the final, with the outbreak um, that we had, it was extremely disappointing way to end the season. Um, we've got a, uh, a situation with um, two teams who, apart from the opening week, uh, have had no cases, no positive cases the entire season. And, and you get to a conference final and then a week later you're playing a final for League One and for the championship and we're un, unable to do both of those games because of a major outbreak. Um, and you're talking 10 or more people that have gone down in the group. Um, you know, as, it, as, it, as it relates to League One, it's a, it's a different structure. You know, they, they have a single table. Um, they weren't regionalized into groups. They did not have a playoff. Um, and uh with that structure at any point it was voted upon by the teams at any point in that season could we not finish the season or have a final the winner would be declared by the okay. highest highest points total okay. that was the, that was organized by the board of governors for that league um, and not having a playoff and not having 
um, an East and a West Conference single table, you always had a single, a single team that would, that would meet that objective. Um, and so uh, um, that was how they decided and that, they, that team was crowned the champions, Greenville. Uh, and Greenville had led the, the, the competition for the vast majority of the season. Um, we would have liked to have had a final there for sure. Um, but we did have a big celebration there and, and they presented the trophy, etc. Um, the championship slightly different because you've got multiple divisions, multiple groups. We had a playoff. Um, uh, it wasn't deemed that one team would then automatically have the right to become the champions by default without playing that game. Um, and, and you either play the game or you don't. Um, Unfortunately, you're looking at a two-week quarantine plus probably a three another week's training to get the team back. Um, you're looking at a three-week stint um, before you could play that game again. Um, case counts are rising both in um, Arizona as well as Florida significantly. We're coming into the winter period. The board had voted a season length. We didn't want to go beyond November, first uh, of November, um, and so uh, and and. You know, players are going for international duty and other things in, into November. Um, so there wasn't actually an appetite from the teams to sit tight for three weeks plus and then come back and, and try to do a game that had no guarantee we could execute it again. Um, we still might have, you know, flying teams in, we might have more cases, we just don't know. Um, so there was sufficient risk and some challenges in waiting that long that the teams decided, as with the league, um, that... that um, you know, this was what it was this year and we needed to um, make that tough decision. And, you know, we had an Eastern champion and a Western champion and that's what we had this year. Um, and, you know, both teams will be recognized as finalists this year as, as, a, as an additional thing that, that, that was accomplished. But, um, you know, and it's a very difficult decision for both those teams and those sets of players who worked so hard to get to that big game on ESPN, you know, and, and we, had all the, we had all the pieces in place it was going to be a great game. Um, so very disappointing for those players and the two teams and for the league, given what we'd accomplished this year would have been a nice way to end. Um, but again, I don't think that takes the shine off of um, everything that we've accomplished this year under very, um, very difficult circumstances. Now, um, what was, uh, you know, an, you know, not just what we had to deal with with COVID, but as you said, with all the, the, the unrest that we've been, experiencing in this country to see the players come together to see you guys form the black players alliance um uh, and give us the opportunity to work with you on um thinking about the usl and, and how we what's our role uh, in society beyond football um with these major issues that we're facing and how can we use football and use the usl and the and the size and scale and the um platform that our athletes have to affect some positive change. Um, yes, disappointing to see in and amongst the unity that we saw amongst our players that we still have incidents of those kind of slurs on the field. Uh, I mean, it's, um, it, you know, it, it's not acceptable, obviously. And, and for that to happen while all this unity is happening with our players is, um, you know, you're all scratching your head a bit as to, as to what's going on here. So, um, you know, we've been able to work with uh, with with you, with your your organisation on some pretty cool and important and impactful projects so far. And um, as it relates to the San Diego incident, part of the thing we're working on now is our uh, Institute of Sport and Social Justice partnership to train uh, and to think about um, how we. What are those unconscious biases? How do we talk to each other on a football field, off the football field? you know, sensitivity training. Players and staff will all go through that with the ISSJ now in the off-season as part of the projects that, that we're, we're collaborating on. But um, you know, again, like some of these things we can affect change short-term. Some of these things are going to be medium and long-term. We're in it with you. Um, I, and, and you guys have brought, to, brought us some fantastic projects to, to work with us on and you're working on many projects on your, on your own accord. Um, I think for us this year, you know, we made the conscious decision, um, despite the horror of everything we were seeing out there in the world uh, and across the country, that, you know, our position was not going to be just corporate statements, right? Our position was not going to be coming up with projects that are self-fulfilling or, or, or for some 
reason just benefit the USL. Um, you know, we made that choice that this is about listening, right? We need to slow down, take our time, not rush out with stuff and listen, you know, and, and again, and I, and I thank you and your organization, the guys there for, for setting BPA up and, and you're doing a lot of the hard work to grow that organization and, and, and just to listen with listen and, and what are you thinking about uh, in the short, medium and long term and how can we come together on, on those projects and, and we have right and we've started to think about how do we work together with the voting um uh you know uh, encouraging the education and the active activism around voting and getting getting people out to vote which which um partner with a couple of organizations there and thinking about um in-game activism this year what does that mean was it look like was it look like going forward you know how can we support that um media partnerships with Black Arrow, right? And, and organizations that are able to articulate some really powerful stories of our black athletes, their journey into football, through life, what they're doing now, what they're aspiring to do in the future, some good stories, um, you know, and, and, and the sensitivity training, you know, this, some of these things are um, long-term projects. We've got work to do. And, and, um, and those are some good initial collaborations you've you've allowed us to work with you on and, and looking forward to more, you know, look here, we got work to do, don't we? And we, we realize that, but, um, but we've got a great opportunity. And, that, and that's exactly what I was going to touch on too. Lastly, in this last topic, you know, we saw the whole movement throughout quarantine, not just within our sport, within other sports, basketball, baseball, even hockey and almost across the whole world. And, and that's kind of what you just said right now. And I think that hits the nail on the head is, you know, you guys, listen to us and i think that was one of the biggest things i remember talking to some peers behind the scenes and i'm like man like after our com first conversation with you guys and everything was so last minute we announced the new uslbpa for those who don't know you know amplifies the black voice within the league gives us you know more opportunities we're here now been talking with the commissioner for these past couple of months trying to make some initiatives more everlasting throughout the league but the fact that we had the commissioner and the league so responsive and supporting us and just wanted to hear from us we were on zoom meetings with 100 plus guys throughout the league trying to get ideas on how we wanted things enacted and you guys supported us fully and i don't think it could have gone as swiftly as it did if we didn't have the support of the league and you know just being hand in hand and i think that ultimately ties into i believe you guys are starting based on our conversation a new impact committee where we can, you know, have a constant communication and dialogue between us here at the BPA and the headquarters within ourselves. So if you want to elaborate a little bit on the impact committee and kind of um, describe to the people, I know it's going to be three people from the championship, two from League One, one from the headquarters and an additional nominee. So about seven people total on the impact committee. So yes, please describe for us what that's going to be and what that entails. Yeah, great. Uh, thanks, Hugh. And, and, and it's, it's important that um, not 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 just that we listen, that we have a a active dialogue and a regular dialogue and a collaboration on initiatives, um, short, medium, and long term. You know, we've we've seen some of our clubs do some pretty impactful things in their communities uh, of their own accord, and some of those initiatives, like the diversity fellowship program in in um, Mexico, there's a, there's there's a great example there, and and, and others of how our clubs are thinking about impacting their communities and getting and creating more uh, opportunity um, and, and diversity and, and but mainly opportunity and how do we get people into the game uh, and affect lives in a positive way now those initiatives um, that might work well in one city I think work well in every city right and there are a lot of barriers to entry that we see in the sport and how do we overcome those um, and, and and we have a real opportunity to do that some are simple things some are grander league-wide initiatives and programs that we can work on and we can also use the platform that we have as one of the top second divisions in the world now to right. people are watching what we do you see they see our games they see our they, they follow our players they know what's happening and so we've got a a much bigger uh, platform than we've ever had before uh, to affect some change now um the idea between with the impact committee is that we wanted um buy-in from our clubs and our clubs wanted to participate in a lot of the decisions that were made this year as we navigated some of these um some some of the situations that were, that were occurring uh, and so and also wants to work with us on uh 
on and uh, and the BPA on a on a, on some of these longer term projects. And and as I said, some of these will be club related projects. Some of these are going to be league and and and, and league wide initiatives. But to have that dedicated group of individuals, um, a diverse group of individuals of of diversity of of uh, racial diversity, gender diversity, diversity of thought uh, and vision, and the willingness to put the time in uh, to to these initiatives to think about what are best practices, what, are, what is happening in other leagues, what are, what are things we can do um, across our league. And so um, that was the idea. We wanted to take a bit of time this season to get it right. And now we've worked with our clubs over the last couple of board meetings um, to establish the impact committee. And as you said, it's going to be um, three representatives from the championship clubs, two representatives from the League One clubs, and uh, a representative from the league office um, and also um, an additional uh, person will be involved, uh, not necessarily directly, uh, that's directly involved in the USL, uh, some outside expertise as well. And so this group um, are going to be th uh, thinking about all of the issues in society that we face and, um, and how we can use our league and our platform to affect some positive change across a number of those issues. And, um, and, and we'll be working directly with the Black Players Alliance um, uh, on a number of uh, initiatives. And I believe that first, that first sort of planning session with, uh, all, with, the, with the organization and the impact committee is slated to happen in our winter meeting um, uh, in early December. Uh, so that meeting, that meeting will happen virtually and hopefully in person at some point in the near future. Um, we're very excited about that. And so we've asked the teams now for the nominations and uh, they will ultimately vote. I know there's going to be a lot of people wanting to be involved in this, uh, this committee. So once we've got them in, they will vote uh, their, can their top candidates. And, um, and it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a step in the right direction. And then you've got a, a, a group of focused individuals that are working collaboratively um, to, to keep having that conversation, to keep working on these projects, to keep getting these, um, ideas um, built out and presented to our board um, uh, for discussion and, and, and vote and support. I like that and I think it's going to be very beneficial especially for our communication in regards to these issues. I know it's new not just for this league but for every league throughout this whole world um, honestly and I feel like the, the league in general has done a good job being on the forefront in comparison to other leagues and I think we're taking the right steps now to make things more everlasting. So I'm looking forward to our conversations and making some more um, initiatives more everlasting, hopefully within next season, honestly, and just keep that going. Well, Hugh, take, take, um, take a lot of credit for it. I have to say, you know, don't, you know, I know you're a very humble man, um, you know, but you and, your, and, and, the, and the, the team that you've put together there, um, and I know you've inspired a lot of our players across the league and other leagues. Um, Take 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 credit for that. I know I know you're, um, you're you are a humble man, but you've uh, you've led you've led this process um, so well, you know. And uh, and we're here because of a lot of the work you've you've done, you know, and how you've managed and handled and worked with us and brought us in and set the tone as well. So so take a lot of credit. You know, you've got um, uh, a lot to be proud of. You know, we're very proud of how you've, how, you know, what you've put together and what's to come, you know, and, and there will be challenges ahead that we can meet together, you know. And so, you know, we th I'm th thank you as well. And, um, you know, uh, I'm excited for the work with the impact committee and, uh, you know, excited to keep working with you guys on uh, some of these projects. I think we can make a real difference. Appreciate you, Jake. That means a lot. Seriously, it really means a lot. And lastly here, what's the future and plans of the USL looking like? Maybe even promotion and relegation, maybe and possibly in the future. Yeah, good. So I, I was, well, I've got a five dollar bet that I wouldn't get through a, a, a discussion without a pro well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, what's the future? So we've got a bit of a um, a tough year ahead, haven't we? Right in twenty one. So we've got, we'll, we'll get through that, and and. Uh, this this experience the shared experience we've had in 2020 will put us in good stead for that um we've got some expansion coming in don't we right so we have a new team in oakland california coming in next year exciting group great opportunity good vision for the community there um and i think they're going to have a real impact on our league and some big aspirations 
uh, for that club moving forward, as well as Queens, uh, Queens, New York, exciting project, yep. uh, new club coming in Queens in 22. Um, very diverse community, powerful community, um, and so a lot of uh, exciting plans for that club to come in. Um, uh, and so there will be some further expansion uh, over the next couple of seasons in League One. We've got, as you saw this year, the stadium initiatives continues to be a big push for us. We've got about a billion dollars right now invested in stadium projects across the country. Louisville opened a fantastic stadium this year. But those are the kind of stadiums we want to see the championship um, looking like, right? So if I think to five, six years down the road, there's a World Cup here. When the eyes of the world are on the USL, what do we want them to see, right? We want to see one of the top second divisions here in the world. We want to see, um, we'll see a lot of USL players playing in that expanded World Cup. Um, you will see stadiums like, like what we've put together in Louisville, uh, what they're working on in Indianapolis, Oklahoma City. You've got a great stadium in Colorado Springs opening next year. So um, more of those environments uh, you will see. That's what we will start to look like as a league. That will then foster um, the kind of ability of our clubs to start reinvesting onto the field reinvesting into training complexes, right? Reinvesting into the academy infrastructure. Um, and so th that's where it's tracking those, those kind of clubs you're going to see uh, coming in. Um, we're going to be, uh, you know, bringing new commercial partners on, on, on board now to the league. We just launched this new national sponsorship platform going into the 20 season. We brought on a couple of uh, good partners this year. So you see a lot more uh, major partners joining the league and that will certainly help uh, amplify what we're doing as well as as well as uh, continuing to push the media side forward with ESPN, continuing to improve the broadcasts and the quality of the broadcasts, etc. Um, so more more work to be done on, on that side of the business, commercially and media, uh, over the next couple of years. Um, so I think you know we're going to see a lot of growth in the championship. You're going to see a huge amount of growth in League One. Um, we've got a a significant number of cities now that are looking to bring a League One team. Uh, into their communities and are also looking to build stadiums as well. You'll see a few new stadiums in League One opening next year. But, um, you know, we're, we've got about 15 active negotiations going on at the moment with new expansion club markets to come into League One. So you see a lot of growth there and then a lot of, a lot of opportunity then to get into the game, obviously, as professional players, as working at clubs, uh, etc. You know, so we have to, you know, and, and as we continue to m mature, we're looking at the competition and what structural changes we might want to make to the competition, what additional cup competitions we could bring in to make sense, um, that makes sense between our two divisions. We're looking at all-star games, what that might look, what, how we might uh, execute something like that. Nice. Looking at new technology, VAR and things like, and those kind of things. How do they, how would they sensibly come into the USL? How could we do that? Um, are there enough, um, you know, we think about referee crews, uh, we think about training, think about infrastructure costs. How do we do that now as things are getting more available? Um, you know, and you think about promotion relegation, as you mentioned, the, started the question. For me, it's about how do we continue to differentiate the USL and make it a competition that um, not just we have our very diehard fans that are following our clubs, but how do we attract more fans, football fans, because uh, I think there's a huge amount of football fans in America that don't watch domestic mm -hmm. soccer. Right? They, they, watch, they watch international soccer, but they don't engage with domestic soccer as much as we That's would like. And there's a huge amount of those fans. So what is it that we can be doing to appeal or to create more um, excitement or, or get more of those soccer fans to interact with our league? And, you know, I think, I think of promotion relegation, not as the, be all and end all that's going to make the, the huge difference but it is definitely a way to engage a broader audience and have games that matter and um and have more compelling games at the top and bottom end of, a, of, of the division um so i think it's something that could add a tremendous amount of overall value if you start to bring more people into the tent to support and follow this game um and this league i should say as well so that's something that's definitely being uh, it's in the works it's being analyzed right now and as I said, we've got to beef up League One. I need it's got to it's got to have a bigger footprint. It's got to have more clubs. It's got to be, you know, continue to grow. Um, and then we'll, we'll start working on how these these two divisions connect and interact. And that's always been my thought process too. Once we you know get out some of these baseball stadiums, we start owning our own. A lot of these clubs start owning their own individual stadiums and in League One and the Championship. 
that's when I really think, you know, heads when I really start turning. And that's, this is all exciting me hearing the future plans within this league. I've seen this league progress now for going on eight years. So just to hear this, it's exciting for myself as a player too. So I really appreciate you for hopping on this show, explaining everything. It's been in a tremendous episode. The best one to close on for the seasons. And I really look forward to finally meeting you in person too. I know we're going to have another Zoom meeting. Uh, in the future with the BPA meeting, but finally meeting you in person down the road too. I'm looking forward yeah, to no, Hugh, I look forward to getting together. We'll have a beer and, and uh, Most definitely. we'll solve all the world's problems, I think, and plan where we can. <laughs> yeah, no, great. Appreciate all your help this year. And uh, you take a bit of time off as well. And yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. You know, regroup and just chill out a little bit. Okay. Appreciate you, Jake. All right. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate of it. We'll talk soon. Have a good rest of your day. You got it. Take care. Later. Don't forget to masks are fully available. DM me $7, $2 going straight to charity. Easy fix, put on real clean. Yes, sir. Yup. Red, white, black, gray. Just holla at your boy. Appreciate you for tuning in. Subscribe. Backyard Footies brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network podcast. That's bgn.fm on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the bgn.fm. Oh, yeah.